We're going to talk about uh, encountering God. Everything or God encountering us. I think, uh, Father, I just pray this morning that you take us deeper and further than we've been before. I just pray that all the paradigms, all the blockages, all the hurts and pains, all the vows that have been made that say I won't let anybody close or all the minds that have been made up about things will be broken. The mindsets will be broken that we would actually be able to enter into the fullness of what you have for us. So Jesus, will you just breathe your life into this place, into our hearts? See, everything is relational. Everything is relational. From the moment we're born, um, you know, you remember in psychology, you do these, uh, these studies and they, they did a, an experiment on um, monkeys and monkeys that are born and they, they, they just fed and they, they, they kept on a, a cage, a wire mesh cage, are, are very much more dysfunctional than monkeys that have their mothers. And pretty much everything that you measure your life by is impacted by relationship. By your mother, your father, your, your siblings, your friends. As you get older, your relationships, your good ones, your bad ones, your ugly ones. Um, even now as you sit here, you totally, totally... Uh, your relationships impact how you're here right now. Whether they're good, they're bad, or they're ugly. Because God, you see, has made us in his image. And God is highly relational. And so it's a great tragedy to him when our relationship with God becomes a bit like an arranged marriage. Or a marriage where there is no love or no communication and, and you just are there. Where... You don't talk to each other, where you avoid each other, where you work out how you can be away from home as much as possible. I'm trying to connect with you as to how God's heart is for you, where he goes, I don't want that between us either. And for many of us, we don't know what it's like to actually know God like that. To know God as one who actually is there for us all the time. Who's smiling. Who's not babying us, but he's just a father. He's a friend. He's present. He's powerful. He cares. Nothing is out of his control. And you are right where he wants you to be in many instances. That many of the things that defeat you don't need to defeat you. Many of the things that you struggle with, he just says, peace, chill out, relax, I've got it. It doesn't feel like you've got it. I know, because you don't know how to chill out. Freedom comes when you realize you don't have control. And freedom comes when you realize that other people don't determine your happiness. You actually have total freedom to be happy today. Irrespective of circumstances. Or you don't understand. No, I do. But when these circumstances are cleared up, you'll just be miserable because some others will turn up and they won't be perfect. So the relationships we have determine very often how we get through things, don't they? 
It's easier to get through trouble with people who love us and support us than it is to do it on our own. That's all because we are created in God's image and God is highly relational. Have you ever been in relationships where the heart isn't present? Where it's polite? Where it's kind of strained? How are you? Fine. Where are you going? Out. When will you be back? Sometime. You've been there? That's fun, isn't it? What can I do so I don't have to go home? It's because you're made from God's image that you yearn for something more than that. And then there are others of us who who don't know what to do with it when it's offered, so we stay out because we just are frightened. And God wants to melt us into places where we know how he, what he created us for, and that is for relationship. And we're all a work in progress. Even the person next to you. We're all a work in progress. I want to talk about God and encountering people, and I just want to take you through and remind you of a few things. One is in Exodus chapter 33, um, where Moses asks to see God. See, there's, there are different facets of God. And God, in the Old Testament, was a pretty fierce God. I mean, he was somebody that they weren't too sure about in many ways. David got hold of, God, um, of, of him. Uh, he, he almost had the most intimate relationship with God. But Moses was one of the first to encounter God, and it was scary. In Moses, 30, in Moses 33, Exodus 33, Moses talks to the Lord and you get an inkling of God, how God works just by the way they interact. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you've not let me know what you will send with me, whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. In other words, he's saying, God, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do here. And these are your people. He mouthed off at God. And God didn't mind. Because God sort of said, hey, Moses, this is, this is sort of way out of your league, but I'm here because I'm going to be with you. And that's why Moses then said to him what? He said to him, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? That is a heck of a question. What else will distinguish me and us from any other people on this earth unless your presence is with us? That, ladies and gentlemen, is a description of Christianity. Unless your presence goes with us, nothing will distinguish us. I won't tell you who said this to me just before the service because I don't want to embarrass them. But they said, oh, I'm struggling because I'm not worthy. And I said, no, you're not. I'll just clarify that. But he is. And in our unworthiness, he is exceedingly worthy. And one of the greatest testimonies to God's presence with you is when people look at you and they go, I don't understand how you do that. Because I know you. 
And you go, yeah, I'm just an incomplete person who's saying, God, I want to know you more. And however you can use me, I'm available. And God takes your hand and says, hey, five fingers, I can use those. And so that's what he was doing with Moses. And Moses talked to him. He encountered him. He basically went out to him and said, what do I do? This is the theme of this morning. All of the people I'm going to mention are people who actually did something. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that nothing will change in your life if you don't do anything. And if we say to God, Lord, please do this, please do this, good luck. We want to break passivity off us. And start saying, step into things. And so Moses started by saying, I'm scared, out of my depth, and you better look after your people. This was your idea. You can speak to God like that. He's going, hey, you make a noise, you speak, that's cool, there's a place to start. So prayer isn't just, oh God, God, God. It's talking to him. It's only very trusting children that can get mad in the presence of a, of a parent with freedom. Not with rudeness, but with freedom. My father used to just say, you're being rude, believe it or not. And it was just like, shut down, shut down, shut down. Don't show any emotion and don't express yourself. God's not like that. Thank God. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses doesn't stop there. He goes, thank you very much. He says, now, now show me your glory. Yo, Moses, you're a bold fellow. That's why God picked you, paid maybe. You don't know when to stop. He says, show me your glory, which means I want to see you. One of the things in the Bible, actually, you go through the Bible is, If you want more, ask for more. Go for more. What do you want from God? Are you settling for this because you're scared if you give him this, he's going to wreck your life? Your life is already wrecked. Come to terms with it. Your best, your best in your own strength is pathetic. You have settled for so far less than what God has for you. I promise you, I could say that absolutely guaranteed to everybody in this room, including moi. Your best and my best without Jesus is absolutely pitiful. We would just go, oh man, this is like black and white sketches and he does big Disney, you know, 3D. So if you only knew. So I better get on because I'm going to slow down here to a point where we don't go anywhere. And we want to get beyond Moses. So Moses, you know, says, show me your glory in this... And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. That would probably take 50,000 years for the first bit of goodness. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I think that's God just saying, watch it, Moses. I am God, but I love you, so don't worry. I'm not going to beat you up. And he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Now, this is an aspect of God that we also need to be reminded of, that God doesn't actually owe us an explanation. That God, when we say, oh, I don't believe in God, I don't think this is right, if we saw God right then, we'd go, oh, shoot.
There's a part of God that is magnificent and greater, and that's the part that I'm just wanting to look at now. He says, if you see me, you will die, because there's nothing like, you can't live in my presence. You can't survive in my presence, because my presence is pure, and my presence is holy, which means it's, it's like sanitized, and if you who are polluted come into my presence, you will be fried. Because there is nothing good that lives in you. You have been so long in a fallen world that my presence will destroy you. And I love you, so I don't want to destroy you. And so he says, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face may not be seen. And so, and that, so that's what he does. There is a place near to me and I'll place you in a rock. That place near him now is Jesus, the rock. And so Moses had this encounter where God says, you cannot see me, I cannot encounter you too close because you will die. So I'll show you what you can bear and I'll protect you from me. And so they go through that. And the this testimony of the, the people of Israel leaving Egypt and getting into the promised land is about the presence of God going with them. And then them not trusting the presence of God and ending up down another alleyway which left them stuck for 40 years in the wilderness. Many people are stuck in alleyways blaming God when he said, I didn't tell you to go there in the first place. In Ezekiel, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. He's with Isaiah. That's where they usually hang out. Between Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Isaiah hang out together. Ezekiel 1.23. Ezekiel, they have these weird dreams and these visions. And Ezekiel had one where he, he saw these strange-looking creatures flying around. Because, you see, God created imagination and he created dreams. And one of the reasons those are there is because he's sharing who he is with us. And he says, if you can dream, that's how I dream. That's how I think. I think beyond what I can think. So my dreams, imagination, is kind of transcending your logic. Because God isn't logical in our understanding of logic. That's why when I speak about healing and say, you know, when you pray for somebody to be healed and they die, God says, what's the problem? We say, but I don't want to miss, I don't want to lose them. And he says, I understand that. But from my frame of reference, the greatest gift I could give anybody would be death because I've taken the sting from death. And through death, they come into this incredible place that you have no idea exists. It's like letting my kids out of a cave and letting them run free. In my perception, that is healing. But for you, your, 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 your scales are so small and your paradigms are so small, you try and trap me in this and if I don't do it in this, then you go, I don't exist. I am so much bigger than you are. And I'm just dropping out little clues of my greatness so that you can trust in that when you don't understand, which will be most of the time. Little children do not understand most things. Why? 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 Tell you when you're 21. Why? Tell you when you're 18. Why? Tell you when you're 30. Why? Won't tell you at all. Everything about little children is relational. Trust me. Trust me. 
Only children, those who are like children, will enter into the kingdom of God. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. God's saying that to you right now. Trust me. Trust me. Don't go down there, John. Ezekiel 1.23 Then came a voice from above the vault over their heads as, as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from, and that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And I saw it and fell face on my, flat on my face because there's no way I could stand. And there's actually no way I could write down what I saw. When the curtain was pulled away and I saw a bit of God as He really is. And the Bible ends in Revelation, in you, uh, verse, uh, chapter 4. The throne in heaven. After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. I told you I saw Bill Clinton in Oxford. He had seven bodyguards. That was pathetic compared to that. Pathetic. Doesn't even can't even register on the scale of important. This is the Olympics opening ceremony a million times. All the time. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives for an ever, ever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And there is this magnificent worship going on all the time. And that is God on his throne, the Father. You know, I had dinner the other night with Grant and Joshua, the guys who were up here. And it's interesting talking to kids who and you've known their parents all, your li- all their lives. And they're yakking away and I said, man, you come by it honestly and you can see some of the traits of the parents of Dave and Megan 
Megan I went to Honduras with just before she married Dave. Is Dave here? He is here, so I can't gossip about him. And, and she, you know, they were all excited when she came, came to the airport in Vancouver because Dave was going to be there to pick him up, her up. And he never let her go after that. And, uh, you know, Wayne and Tish, as, you know, from years ago at the squash club. Um, and you see their children now and you see their trays and, and you can see it in my children because you know that you can say that about my daughters, Carmen and Michelle. What if, you see, you have this magnificent picture. Let me just put that on one side and bring you another picture. You are the managing director. Your father is the managing director of Microsoft. And he's very, very busy. Big office, big tower in Seattle. And you phone up and you try and make an appointment. No, he's he's busy for the next two months. You can speak to somebody in one of the departments. And then you watch somebody walks in while you're getting that message. And they go to the office, they knock on the door, they go in and they say, "Um, can I see my dad? Come right in. You have access anytime and above the most important appointment. And God the Father, you see, if you went into what I just read out of Revelation, that magnificent occasion, and you happen to see who was on the throne. I was just mulling this yesterday and this came to me and I don't know whether it's God's inspired, but how surprising would it be if what you saw on that throne, their face actually looked like you? And God the Father said, Oh, we have some similarities because I made you in my image. And you, or somebody showed you into that throne room and you were just on your face and somebody said, look up, that's your father. Who is this person? That's God. Who is he? He's your father. I knew you were coming. What if God's desire is that you know that in your heart? And it was his desire, so he sent Jesus. Because he said, if, if I appear to my children, they will die. And I so love this world, I'm going to send my son, who will come down to their level, and who will actually deal with the very thing that causes us not to be able to be together, which is their sinfulness. And my son will go to the cross, and when he goes to that cross, he will actually deal with all the barrier between us. And his blood, which we talk about, will cleanse, which means it will actually make it possible for my children to walk into my throne room and not be killed. Because I long. It's lonely on the throne. God's not an egomaniac. He doesn't want to sit there and have all the angels going, holy, holy, for goodness sake, what are we going to do? Is Is this it? So that's kind of going on, but there's also this relational thing that's going on, which is, I want my kids on my knee, I want to be with them. I want an encounter with them, and I want them to encounter me, and I want that encounter to be one that is not terrifying. 
And so Jesus came into this world to actually open up the possibility of encounter with a living God, where God says, you've made me in your image. I'm not like that. I'm much nicer. So as I, as I show you myself in Jesus, I invite you into my presence on my terms, which is I have loved you before you have seen me. There is nothing that you have done that I cannot actually heal or redeem. There is nothing in you that causes me to say I don't want to have anything to do with you. But I also know that you're very broken and wounded, so you're going to be very scared of me initially. That's why you need to gather in groups so I can melt you. And you can learn how to not be afraid. Quickly, the woman at the well. You know, that woman in the well, it was, she came to Jesus, or she came to the well to get something she needed. She met this man. She didn't know she was meeting the Messiah. She didn't know she was meeting the Son of God. She was having an encounter, and she didn't know she was having it. What happens if God encounters you through other people all the time and you just see them instead of hear him? Because it's not what you expected. I promise you, if you say, Lord, I want an encounter with you, he'll give you more than you can handle. And the woman came and he said, can I have some water? And she sat this big discussion about water and you know, he shouldn't be talking to her and all the rest of it. And they had this little discussion about worship and Samaritans and all the rest. And then Jesus kind of goes, oh, goodness me, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you're honest at least. You, you have six. You've had six and the man you're living with is not your husband. And she goes, "Woo! I see you're a prophet. And suddenly God breaks in. A woman who's had six men and the seventh she's living with is not her husband. She's probably in her 20s. And he's not killing her. You miserable. You this, you that, you the other thing, you the other thing. None of that happens. She's in the presence of the living God. When she's been in the presence of the living priests, it's don't even come to this well in the morning because you're not worthy. The living God who wants encounters with his children sees a, sees a girl who's been damaged and broken and wounded and he says, Jesus, let's go after her. And so she meets this man who says, you've had all this stuff going on in your life and he looks at her and he doesn't judge her. She is already judged. He's not saying it's fine. And she's never met that before. She's never encountered somebody who has revealed the heart of God to her and hasn't made her feel like three inches tall. She's never encountered the heart of God that sees behind her behavior and calls her into a better place. And she drops her watering thing and she runs back to the village. And this woman who came to get water because she didn't want to be seen by anybody, that's why she would go out in the middle of the day, at the hottest time of the day, starts shouting in the streets and they say, what is Mary wanting now? That tramp. 
But there's something about her that's remarkable. He says, come and see a man. And she's got lots of men, so she's ex- expert. He told me everything I've ever done. He's the most remarkable man. And she's talking about this man unlike any other man she's ever talked about. And they also know her. And they know what she's like. And they go, there's something got into this woman. She was dead and is alive. So they followed her because curiosity is what we have. And what do they do when they get to Jesus? They've met this woman who's had an encounter. It's made an impact on her. They follow her to Jesus. And they say to Jesus, come and stay with us for two days. And over those two days, they engage with him. And he teaches them. And after two days when he leaves, they say to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, but what we have seen and heard with our own eyes. They had an encounter with the living God. And I want to suggest to you that there are many, many encounters available. But I want to suggest to you that we have a a need to reach out. If you want to grow with God, if you want an encounter with God, then you've got to reach out to Him. Or you've got to go to somebody and say, I want to know more. There is so much more than you can ask or imagine available because of what Jesus released. And yes, I'm afraid there is some bad news. I kept away from God for a long time because I knew he was going to nail me on some of my behavior. And after seven or eight years of it, I thought this is not getting anywhere. Because he doesn't change. And eventually I had to come to a place of saying, I give it all to you. No conditions, no strings. And so some things changed. Some things had to change. But the funny thing is, he also begins to prepare you for that. So it's not as wrenching as when you start. He knows our hearts. He knows our weakness. He knows our struggles. He loves us. He says, if you, if you are willing, I'll help prepare you for the changes. But I also bring you life. And my testimony absolutely is there's no question that what I gave him came back in spades. In other words, good. God wants to encounter you. Now, if you want encounters with God, here's three things that, um, you know, it's not sitting here just going, encounter me, O Lord. O Lord, encounter me. I mean, he might. And soaking prayer has that aspect to it. But one of the reasons in soaking prayer we don't just lie on the ground and say, oh God, I'm soaking you in, you're like a big sun tanning salon. Part of that is because I really think that's just lazy Western stuff. Lord, I'm just going to lie in your presence and you're going to change me. Good luck. Good luck. I'm going to engage with you and change will happen. So three things and then we're done. And this is going to be quick. 
There's a, there's a passage in Song of Songs that says, uh, what excites my heart? What, my he- what makes my heart beat fast? What makes your heart beat fast? What rises up in you that you're excited about? Talk to God about that. He loves that. You see, he likes, he likes to see you happy and he likes to see you energized and he likes to see you full of passion. So find out what is exciting for you. What things, if you could write the script, what things you would like to do and talk to him about it. Secondly, have a thanksgiving heart. Everything changed for me in encountering God when I heard him say, John, what if I'm for you, not against you? And what if the things I want for you will bless you more than the things you think you need right now? And I've gone through those times where everything I wanted that I thought was fulfilling was the thing he was saying, I'm not sure about that. And they were relational. Don't tell me I don't understand. We all understand. But ultimately he said, trust me, trust me, trust me. And sometimes it's excruciating for a while. And then he opens up another vista and says, you would never have seen this if you hadn't turned. You've got to trust my love for you. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will I? You live out of a thanksgiving heart. Everything changed when I started to say, thank you, Jesus, that you have rescued me, a prodigal. Thank you that you are for me, not against me. Thank you that you have a future for me that is amazing. Thank you that you are good and you're kind, that I can trust you. Thank you that you're drawing me into community so that I don't have to walk alone anymore. Thank you that you have not held my sin against me. Thank you that you bear witness to your love over me. Living out of a place of thankfulness. It's cool. It's much easier than misery. It's much easier than anger and unforgiveness. And thirdly, pay attention to other people. If you want to encounter God, start caring about other people. Start caring about their needs. Start caring about what you can do to help them and you will encounter God in the process because he's looking for people to walk alongside each other. Let's stand. Do you know what this is? The GPS system. How many of you ever used GPS systems? Satellite navigation. How many of you go, I wouldn't be seen dead with one of those that exposes my weakness? (laughs) This thing was created because it figured out that we don't know where we're going half the time. And we get lost. You could go all around Canada and North America with this thing. It is loaded with directions. But as long as it stays here with me like this, we'll never go anywhere. Jesus, I thank you that you can direct me everywhere and anywhere. Thank you. This also has something in it called recalibration. There's a little voice that's when you make a wrong turning and you don't follow the directions or you miss it, it goes recalibrating. You don't stop the car and go, oh God, please forgive me, I missed the turning. The voice very calmly says, recalibrating. 
Now I'll guide you another way back to where we were going. If you who are evil know how to design things like this to help you on your way, how much more does the Spirit of God desire to recalibrate our lives as we go on the journey? This thing works as you drive. And the encounter and relationship with God works as you drive, as you live day by day. I have traveled with this around Australia, around North America, around England. It's amazing. It takes all the stress out of everything. And instead of having a passenger, where's the, where in the map, why did you make it? It takes all of that away. Anybody had arguments about directions? It takes it away. It's a higher power. If you plug in, I'm using it as a very powerful visual aid for you. You're just like a little plastic tom tom. <laughs> and if you allow God's presence to work in you, He will recalibrate as you go along. Recalibration happens when you say, forgive me, Father. I took a wrong turning. I blew it. Whatever. And he says, that's fine. Jesus has paid for you. and you, you've, you, you're, turned in, you're into Jesus like Moses in the rock. You're there. So I'll just recalibrate. Relax. I'll get you back. That's called relationship. Part of the relationship is recalibration, not condemnation. Until eventually you get in the car, you switch this thing on, you punch where you go and you relax, you just drive and you listen to the instructions even when they don't make sense. And you go, it's so cool to not worry about how I'm going to get there because there's a satellite 200 miles up and a whole program in here that's taken care of that. And God wants you to know what it's like for him to live in you like a GPS, God positioning system. Where he says, just trust me day by day. Be in relationship with me and watch what happens. And Father, that's what I pray. I pray for everybody standing here right now. Now, the way that you receive this is you open your heart. You can be entertained with my words. It's not going to make any difference. Or you can say, Jesus, I want to know that. I want to know that relational presence. So, Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here right now. Do you release encounters with you that take them into the throne room of heaven? That you release revelations of your goodness, your greatness, your magnificence. That this, this one who dwells in the throne beyond all thrones, beyond our imagination, is the one who says to us, you can come in any time because my son has paid the price for you. And when you come in, you don't have to be afraid because you're not going to die because you are coming in through my grace and his blood. And all I have is yours, he says. So I pray that we would live out of a place of encounter. And I pray, Father, that, and I ask that you would increase our sense of who you are for us that we might know your peace and your joy. And when we mess up, we can just recalibrate at the cross and trust you to lead us back.
So let's the worship team come up and let's uh, just let him minister to us as we. If you want prayer, uh, just go to. In these corners, there will be people with their tags on. You know, j- reach out, go for it. If you need healing, ask for healing. If you need God to awaken your spirit, ask Him to awaken your spirit. So bless all that you are doing, Lord, to draw us closer to yourself. And I just pray that we'd be running to you with open arms. So Holy Spirit, will you continue to work out in us that presence that is yours for us today.